Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel, as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth in the seas and all deeps. He it is who made the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Basham, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people, Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all the ages. The Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands, They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, He who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Our Old Testament lesson comes from Micah 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals, and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem." This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Almighty God, You are the King of kings, the One who rules over all kingdoms of the earth. We pray this morning that You would open our eyes to see wonderful things in Your law. We pray that You would show us deep things of old. I pray You would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive. Send Your Holy Spirit to be among us, to anoint us, and to care for us, and to remind us of the teachings of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now I heard a story once, and it goes like this. A group of travelers were being made to wait in an airport. They were waiting on their flight, and their flight had been canceled. Now some of you know what that's like. Some of you have missed your flight and have had been, been made to wait, but these flight, these uh, travelers were being made to wait not because of their own doing, but because of, uh, of the flight. It was late. It was late coming to the terminal, and, and you could see the crowd. The crowd was getting antsy. The crowd was uh, getting frustrated. You know what it's like to wait. You get frustrated. You're expecting this flight. They were expecting this flight on time, and after 10 minutes, 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes, the crowd is busting at the seams, longing to get on the plane. And finally, one angry passenger shoves his way through the crowd and gets to the front of the line where the, the, the flight attendant's desk is, and he slams his ticket onto the table and says to her, Open the door. We have to get on this flight. She looks at him and says, Well, sir, uh, calmly, she was very kind and said, Sir, I'm sorry that you have to wait, but, uh, but you have to wait in line like everyone else, and we will get to you as soon as we can. And he looked at her with a snarl on his face and said, Do you know who I am? The stewardess smirked, picked up her intercom microphone, and said, Ladies and gentlemen, we have a man here at the desk who does not know who he is. If you, if you can help him find his identity, please come to gate 17. And she put it back down. Now, none of us would ever do something like that, would we? Never. Well, we would never say to a, steward, to a flight attendant, do you know who I am? Because I, we clearly know who we are. But uh, it's funny, it's hilarious, but it, it illustrates something for us, doesn't it? it? It illustrates our failure to wait. Our failure in waiting. Now, it makes sense, doesn't it, that this man would be frustrated. It makes sense that we would be frustrated. But the man failed in waiting very clearly. Shamed the, the, the flight attendant and brought shame on himself. He failed. And we, uh, we fail as well. But we know what it's like, don't we? We know what it's like to wait and not have what we were anticipating. We have waited for children, or we have waited for relationships, or we have waited for a flight, or we have waited for uh, a raise at work. All of us know what it's like to wait. And Israel here... The people that Micah is speaking to, Israel and Judah, know very well what it is like to wait. They had been promised a king 
who would establish an everlasting kingdom, who would sit on David's throne. A a prophet like Moses, Deuteronomy 18 tells us, they were waiting, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited still longer. But they failed in their waiting. They turned after other gods. They didn't wait for God's timing. They failed in their waiting, and we too are like Israel, aren't we? We are waiting. We've been waiting for 2,000 years. Our, our Savior has, in His first Advent came, and that's what we celebrate. That's what we celebrate this season, the Advent season, the coming of our King. But we also anticipate the second Advent. We anticipate the second coming of our great King Jesus. And we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And sadly, often we fail. We go with the, we are pushed to and fro with the ebb and flow of society, letting the world around us dictate what we believe and think and what we do. We, like Israel, have failed. So, what do we need? What is it that we need? What was it that Israel needed as they were waiting, as we are waiting for our our King Jesus? What do we need? Well, first, in verse 1, we see that what we need is a voice from the outside. A voice from outside us. You see, the word of the Lord came to Micah. It was God's word, God's very voice that came to Micah for the Israelites. Now, this particular title is very important in that it it contains three elements. We see the divine author. God, the word of the Lord. We see a human author, Micah, who received God's word, and we see the mode of communication. He saw, he, which he, it was the word of the Lord which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem, likely a vision or a dream. Now, many prophets in the Old Testament, we either, we, we generally only receive two of those three elements. It's the vision of Isaiah, or the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. We don't know how it came, but the emphasis here in Micah is that the war, the word of the Lord, the voice, the very voice of God came to Micah, and it was an indictment against the people of Israel and Judah. Now, we also need an outside voice. What this outside voice does is it evaluates our moment in time. It actually uh, provides for us a, a a litmus test for how we are doing. This voice, God's voice, provides for us an evaluation, and we have it in God's Word. Don't we? When, when I said, this is the Word of the Lord, and you said, thanks be to God, we are praising God that He provides an evaluation for us. We're praising God that He provides a revelation of Himself for us. So, friends, we need a voice from outside, and God has provided His voice for us. And it is this voice that evaluates us, that provides instruction and guidance in how to live this life. But not only a voice from outside, we also need to pay attention to the voice. Friends, Israel didn't pay attention to the voice for very long. Israel 
turned from God's voice, turned from God's prophets who were announcing God's word, God's very uh, mouth. They were, they were God's mouthpieces. And they, they didn't obey Him. They didn't listen. So God says, Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. The Lord God has a witness against you, the Lord, from His holy temple, from His holy palace, His throne. God is speaking forth, and He calls us to pay attention. He calls us to honest self-reflection. You see, God not only provides a voice evaluating our time, but He calls us to listen and to pay attention. Israel had wandered and strayed from the commandments of the Lord, and they were being influenced. They were being influenced by the people around them rather than influencing the beliefs and the thoughts of the people. And so God thunders. God calls them to self-reflection. He gives a voice, and He calls us to pay attention. So friends, let's pay attention to God's voice. But So we know now what we need in our waiting. We need God. We need God's voice. And we need to pay attention. But what goes wrong? What exactly happens for the people of Israel here? What exactly happens to God's people when they wait? What happens to Israel? What happens to us when we wait on, on the promised king? Well, there are two very sad things. One is that our devotion gets compromised. When we fail to listen, when we fail to be self-reflective, when we fail to evaluate our lives by the Word of God, our loyalties get compromised. We cease to be devoted to God. In the, in the things of the kingdom. You see, this happened to Israel and Judah. That was God's indictment of, of them. Verses 5-7, through seven, all this is for the transgression, the covenant breaking. God had called His people into covenant and they had broken it. They had turned from Him to other gods. It's all for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? The seat of idolatry? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem where people were defiling the temple? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country and a place for planting vineyards and will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned and all her idols I will lay waste. You see, Israel and Judah, during the times of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings uh, that were ruling and reigning during Micah's uh, prophetic career, they had turned from God. They had been influenced by the cultures around them, and they were synthesizing these cult worships with Yahwism. So much so that God became only one God among many. These carved images they made sacrifices to and they prayed to. There were uh, a plethora of different gods. There was Baal, who was the storm god, Asherah and Ashtaroth and Molech. There were temple prostitutes who offered relationship with the gods if you paid the temple tax. God had again be become one god among many. 
He was just a, a God among gods instead of the alone God, the God of Israel, the God alone of the, of the universe. And so our devotion like Israel, Israel's gets compromised. We give ourselves to any number of things, don't we? While we wait for God, while we, we, we semi-anticipate this second advent, our devotion gets compromised. God becomes just another slice of the pie rather than the maker of the pie. God becomes just another team that we cheer for rather than the one who is directing and authorizing which team we cheer for. God is another God, isn't He? We go to church on Sundays and we serve in the nursery. Uh, I don't serve in the nursery because you don't want me taking care of your children. Uh, but we go to we we go to church on Sundays and 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 we serve in the nursery or we go on mission trips or we serve in the youth ministry or we we do any host of things, and for us it often becomes just a box that we have to check, and we don't even know it. Why don't we know it? Because we're not listening to the voice of God. God in His grace has provided an evaluation of us provide an evaluation for us. And so often we don't listen. And so our devotion gets compromised. Not only our devotion, but our doctrine gets cloudy. Do you like how I, do you like what I did there? Our devotion gets compromised and our doctrine gets cloudy. That's not actually mine. I stole that from Chuck. Uh, we were talking this, this, uh, this week and he said that and I was like, yes, thank you. I will steal that. Uh, if you know one thing of me, I will give credit where credit is due. Uh, so our devotion gets compromised and our doctrine, it gets cloudy. Now this is provided for us. Uh, we see that often in the history of the kings, don't we? Micah's prophetic career was during the, the kingship of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn back to 2 Kings 16. Uh, 15, uh, actually 15 through about 20, we get the, what was happening, the history of the people, the kings of Israel during Micah's time. And first we see Jotham. He served the Lord. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Nevertheless, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and made offerings to the high places. He built the upper gate to the house of the Lord. Great. He built the upper gate, but the high places were not removed. These high places were the places where the gods were honored, where the gods of the Canaanite religions, the people surrounding Israel, were honored and were worshipped. Now, Jotham did what was right. He, he himself did what was right, but he still continued to allow the people to worship their gods. And then we have Ahaz, his son. Now, Ahaz was a wicked king. Listen to what the author of 2 Kings has to say about Ahaz. He did, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God as his father David had done. Now, that's another way of saying that Ahaz was a wicked king. And he goes even further. Not only did he not do what was right, he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now, he was a king of Judah, the southern kingdom, the kingdom that was supposed to be faithful to the covenant God had made with them. 
Israel, the northern kingdom, was the apostate kingdom. The kings of Israel were the apostate kings who had set up their kingdom in Israel and Samaria and worshipped idols themselves. He not only, Ahaz not only did not do what was right in God's eyes, he actually walked after the kings. He believed the same things that the Israelite kings had, had believed. And not only that, it goes further. He not only walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, it says in verse 3, he even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. You see, Ahaz didn't believe that God was the only God. He didn't believe that God's ways were the right ways. And, and so presumably, he offered his son to Molech, one of the gods of the Canaanite people, believing that by offering his son, he would receive blessing. And the people did this as well. They offered their, uh, they, they offered their sacrifices, not necessarily their children. There's not much uh, uh, evidence that the people actually offered their children, but we know that Ahaz did. And so if Ahaz had done that, what were the people doing? Well, they followed Baal and Asherah and Molech as well. Baal was the storm god. Now, it's interesting to note that all of these gods actually offered the necessities of life. Baal, the storm god, offered rain. If you sacrificed to Baal, they believed that you would then be blessed with agricultural success. And, and in an agrarian society, that's a big deal. It's your livelihood. And so they would offer their sacrifices to Baal, and they also offered their sacrifices to the Asheroth. Now, they were, she was understood to be the, uh, the goddess of fertility. Now, this is where the, the, the cult prostitutes offered fertility to the people. Now, this is also your livelihood as well. Not only uh, do children provide a, a means of working your land in an, in an agrarian society, but they also continue your name. They continue your family your family name and bringing honor to you. And so by uniting yourself bodily to the temple prostitute and paying the temple tax, they believed that you were uniting yourself to the gods, and by uniting yourself to the gods, you then would be blessed. You see, friends, their doctrine was cloudy. They were synthesizing Yahwism, God, worship of the one true God, with worship of these other false gods not believing that it was actually God who sends rain on the just and the unjust, not believing that it was God who actually provided children to barren women. They had not remembered, they, they did not believe the stories of Abraham and Sarah, of Hannah bearing Samuel. You see, their doctrine had become cloudy, and ours is similar doesn't it? It happens to us as well. We let the cultures around us actually dictate what we believe about God and the world. I'll tell you how I've seen this a little bit. Uh, we, we've seen it in, an, we, we live in an individualistic culture, don't we? A Western culture which values individualism above all else. And that actually influences the way we read the Bible. 
we tend to read ourselves into the story instead of realizing that we are part of God's grand story. When we read uh, Galatians, for example, we, we believe that, well, God is speaking to me. God is writing this to me. Wow. There are things that you must, you, you can understand from Galatians about your moment in time. Paul actually wrote to the Galatians. And many of the yous in Galatians are actually y'alls. They're plural. God is speaking to a whole plethora of people. Paul is writing to a whole plethora of people in Galatia. And the same is true throughout the scriptures. Micah was preaching to the Israelites. And there are things that we have to learn. Things that are very similar to our own situation. But in individualistic culture, we tend to read the Bible individualistically, forgetting that there's a whole corporate people that God is speaking to. It's not just me and Jesus. What else? Well, marriage. Uh, we come into marriage thinking that uh, this person, in the uh, words of Jerry Maguire, will complete me. Now, for any of us who have been married for any uh, weeks, we'll realize that this person cannot complete me because they are as much a sinner as I am. I was, uh, yeah, um, I was, my wife is as much a sinner as I am. And she would say, John, you're more a sinner than I am, which is actually quite true. But we can't be completed by a human being like that. Not the way we were meant to be completed in relationship with God. But we, we assume that marriage is going to make us happy. When really it was actually meant to cure the aloneness of human beings. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, it was not good that man should be alone. It's not that he was lonely. It's that he was alone. What else? Well, we actually let the world dictate the way we believe the things we believe about God and the world around us. We, we tend to believe in this culture that God is uh, either loving and wimpy and He kind of deals with sin, but He's more loving than He is just. Or we believe that God is a ruthless dictator and He demands things from us. And we struggle, don't we? We struggle to, to bring those two together, knowing that God is both loving and just that He is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness, but He does not let iniquity go unpunished. And for those of us in Christ, He has provided that punishment in Christ. Now we are called by God to be, as Peter told us, to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that we may proclaim the excellencies of God who has brought us out of darkness into His marvelous light. But we, like Israel, actually let the world proclaim what we should believe. So friends, let's listen to God's voice. Let's evaluate our moment in time because He was so gracious to provide us His Word. He was so gracious to Israel to provide a word through Micah. So, if we, we've found what we need and we've found out what's gone wrong for Israel and for us, but what is our hope? If, if, it, if it's wrong, if, if, we, if our devotion gets compromised and our beliefs, our doctrines become cloudy, what do we need? 
Or what, what is our hope? Well, you see in Micah that he laments. Micah laments in verses 8 and 9. He says he will lament and wail. He will go stripped and naked. Now, a lot of people think that they want to be prophets. You don't want to be a prophet because Micah actually had to go stripped naked as a representation of what was happening. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. You see, Micah was predicting what would happen if the people did not repent. He was predicting that the wound, the Assyrian people, would overtake Israel. And he would, it would re, the Assyrians would reach to the very gates of Jerusalem. Now, the purpose of these prophecies were always that the people would repent. The longing was always that God's people would turn from their wicked way and they would turn back to God. And that's exactly what our hope is, friends. It's that God relents when we repent of our sin. God relents of the devastation that He promises when we repent of our sin. When we turn from those wicked ways and turn back to Him, we see that in Hezekiah's story. In, Heze in the life of Hezekiah, this prophecy was being fulfilled. The Assyrians had come to the gate of Jerusalem. They had conquered Israel. And Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrian Assyrians, were there. It was there with his army. And Hezekiah hears the voice of Micah and Isaiah. He hears the call of God and he repents. Listen to his words. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, You are the God, You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline Your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open Your eyes, O Lord, and see the, and hear the words of Sennacherib, Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations of their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from His hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that You, O Lord, are God alone. So when God receives that repentance, what does He do? He relents of the disaster which He promised Jerusalem. And this is what He says. 2 Kings 19, beginning in verse 35, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived in Nineveh. God struck down his people's enemy. And not only that, he goes further. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. You see, friends, God relents from his devastation and God protects his people when his people repent. And we often think of repentance as denying our joy and our pleasure and, uh, and our comfort. 
But friends, it's not that at all. It's actually turning from those things which offer joy and comfort and pleasure and security, but they only offer them a short time. And we turn from those things and we turn to the God who offers all that and much, much more for eternity. Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full in this life and the next. And so, friends, repentance is turning from those things that, uh, that actually keep us from living fully human lives as God has called us and turning to God who offers us a full, robust human life in His Son, Jesus. And so we wait. We wait with that in view that when Jesus comes, He will establish His kingdom. And our devotion and our doctrine will be right forever. That's who we wait on. We wait on our Savior for His second advent. Let's pray. Almighty God, You are the great King who alone rules the earth. You alone are God. And I pray, Lord, that our lives would reflect Your kingdom your rule and your reign in this world. Protect us, Lord, from improper devotions. Protect us from untrue beliefs. Help us understand who you are and how you relate to this world. We pray in the mighty Son of your Jesus, of your, in the name of your Son, Jesus, who will come one day, we wait for Him. In His name, Amen.